I wanted to uh, uh, begin my sermon time this morning by uh, reading something that was written by Phil Calloway quite a while ago. And he actually shared this thing. I don't know if any of you were at the uh, event on uh, a week ago Saturday, but he actually shared this experience. So I'm just going to read it for you, and it's uh, sort of a human interest thing and also speaks to the effectiveness of prayer. He says, When our children were small, we journeyed for three days so that I could speak at a camp in Iowa. The best way for a speaker to gain credibility at family camp is to leave his children at home. (laughs) But ours have always come along. And I think it's been comforting to other parents to see them misbehave. As we sat at dinner for the first night, the directors, Earl Taylor and his wife, Dee Dee, told us a little about the camp. Located on 660 acres of wooded property in central Iowa, Hidden Acres had experienced significant growth. But with growth came the usual structural hurdles, and the camp staff had been praying that God would supply enough money for a major project. When the money arrived, they hoped to build a sewer so that frightened campers would not have to hike past bears and wolves to use the facilities in the middle of the night. The staff prayed. Nothing happened. One day, a semi-truck crept up the gravel road and a man climbed out. Do you mind if I park my rig here, he asked, pointing to a hayfield. Earl, as an accommodating a Midwesterner as you'll ever meet, said, sure. But the driver wasn't finished. We're filming a little movie and there are more of us, you know, trailers and some equipment. Oh, and helicopters too. Is that okay? Sure, said accommodating Earl. The crew was from a little studio called um, (coughs) Warner Brothers, and uh, they had more questions. Could they shoot some scenes on a road west of camp, scatter a little straw, blow it around? We'll pay your staff to clean things up, they promised. Why not, said Earl. Then a helicopter landed in the south field, and a bearded man ducked out of it with his personal chef. He was producing a little film about a tornado. The crew called him Mr. Spielberg. (laughs) Warner Brothers stayed for 36 hours on the property filming Twister. Paid the staff $1,000 for three hours it took them to clean up the road. And then they asked them to put all the trash back on the highway. They needed to shoot the scene again. Earl just couldn't help himself. Sure, he said. Before the trucks and the helicopters departed, someone pressed a second check into the hand of the astonished camp director, one that made his eyes grow wide. It was the exact amount that they had been praying for. (laughs) Amazing. And God has all kinds of means 
at his disposal. Of course, we don't understand why sometimes our prayers seem to be answered and sometimes not. But in this case, they had a need, and as a staff, they prayed for that need. And God had a very interesting way of answering that prayer. Uh, Phil uh, Calloway says about Earl, that was the camp director, ask him if God answers prayer and he'll smile and he'll tell you his story. And he'll probably conclude it this way. When I got that check, I knew exactly what we'd do with it. Hollywood has created its share of sewers. Why not build one in their honor? <laughs> Why not build one in their honor right out here? in Iowa. Interesting. Prayer. By the way, any of you seen Twister? Okay. And of course, I think it's, I haven't, I don't know that I've seen it, but I'm all in favor of these re realities being shown. Um, but prayer, you know, what about it? And uh, I'm sure that we all know that prayer is essential, that it's a priority in the church. And I'm also sure that we have many questions about it. In what way does it make a difference? After all, if God is sovereign and he has planned what's going to happen, how come prayer is needed? And what might, be, what might we miss if we don't pray? And I'm claiming that much of it will remain a mystery. I certainly don't claim to understand it. But, you know, teaching isn't necessarily about being able to provide absolute, complete answers. Sometimes we gain if the level of our questions are raised a bit so that the lesser things are taken care of at least and better answered. So we're going to look at some, some observations from Scripture today on the topic of prayer. Because of our conversations with the gathering, and obviously we're looking to change, somehow there's going to need to be change as we look into the future. It seemed like a good time to do a series from the book of Acts on the early church. And right now we're in that paragraph between Acts chapter 2 from verse 42 to 47. And uh, I'm certainly not the only Christian leader that uh, uh, is teaching what's those particular functions there that are essential functions for every church in every time. And uh, in uh, verse uh, 42 we have... Uh, I think it's four of them already, and we have talked about uh, three of them. We've talked about verse 42, where it says that they uh, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That would be the compass of the church right there, the teaching. And then we talked about the fellowship. And then last week we talked about the breaking of bread, communion. And this morning we're talking about prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now before I move into this, I want to uh, highlight once again something I've uh, said once or twice already that I notice there's such an emphasis there on fellowship, the togetherness, okay? 
They're doing all these things, but they're doing them together. They're learning the apostles' teaching together. They're praying together. They're breaking bread together. They're praising the Lord together, together, together. And so it's like the fellowship, the sense of community, the experience of community, it's like the big tent in which everything else takes place. But today, prayer. They devoted themselves. They were really committed. They were focused. They gave themselves to each of these, to prayer. Martin Luther, back in the 1500s, insisted, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. That was back in the Reformation era, and I'd say that it's needed no less today. And I think we all know that. But why? Why do we need prayer? Why pray? And so today I want to offer two reasons why we need to pray. The first one would be we're called to it. The Scriptures call us to prayer. And then the second one adds to the imperative, and that is something about the meaning of prayer. When we look at the very nature, what is prayer? It strengthens the call that we need to pray. Beginning then with more the direct teaching that we're called to pray, uh, throughout the Bible, in many, many different places and ways, we are commanded, we're exhorted, we're invited, we are encouraged to pray. For a start, there's the example of Jesus. The Gospels give many examples of him praying. And, uh, you know, to the Father. And uh, one case in point is Luke 5, verse 15 and 16. And it says that the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And then there's a but. But... Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I mean, think of that. All these different people with their needs coming to him. And he's on earth to demonstrate kingdom works, works such as healing. He's got a heart that's full of compassion. And yet it says that he often withdrew to be by himself in prayer with the Father. In a particular situation, in, in, in a particular instance, in different special times, he considered being alone in prayer a more pressing priority than the human needs around him. What does that say to us? If he needed that, if he needed that to be where he needed to be, in his heart, in his readiness, how much more do we not need that? In our personal lives, you know, in the context of all the important stuff, in our personal lives and in our work and activities at church, the example of Jesus. He also commanded it directly to his disciples to be a people of prayer. Luke 18.1, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them 
that they should always pray and not give up. The parable there is about the widow who keeps bugging the judge who doesn't fear God or anything, but just because he doesn't want to be bothered anymore, he's going to grant her justice. And so he's saying, how much more will not the Heavenly Father respond? But you need to keep on. You need to be persistent. Uh, well, there's the early church. Prayer was emphasized in the early church. And as you read through the book of Acts, which is the document about the early church, we see that in the text that we're looking at this morning. They devoted themselves to prayer. Um, and, then, uh, and then another good example is chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. And in the context there is that there is a dispute in the church. There's conflict in the church. And uh, it has to do with uh, whether the widows among the Grecian Jews are being treated equally to the widows that come from the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew part of the congregation. And it's, the conflict has to do with, hey, you're not looking after us as well as you're looking after those others, you see. Um, nothing has changed. Well, the 12 apostles, they decide they need some help, so they delegate. And uh, they appoint seven men, and we often think of them as being the first deacons. And uh, they are to take care of these practical needs so that the apostles don't leave the ministry, it says, uh, of the word. And then uh, down later in, uh, in verse 4, it says that uh, we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. They didn't want to be distracted. There were practical needs that needed to be taken care of, but they didn't want to be distracted from the ministry of the word and from prayer. Prayer was regarded so important that the apostles said that they'd give priority to it as well as to the ministry of the Word and then the others could take care of it. By the way, it's important to note there that, they, that the responsibility was still looked after, okay? It's not like you can run off and pray and, and let the world fall apart. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 Be joyful always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Obviously, priority in the early church, called for both by examples and by direct commands. But now I want to move to the meaning of prayer. And uh, my statement here is that when you consider the meaning of it, then it makes even more sense and it compels us even more to be a people of prayer. What is prayer then? And I, I have four here. The A would be prayer is expressing our dependence. It is confessing our dependence. Marty gave me a couple of books by uh, John Ortberg, pastor at Menlo, Menlo Park Presbyterian Church in California. Easy read, good read, practical and his sense of humor uh, uh, slips through a lot, and that, that's also helpful in communicating well. But he tells about an argument he had with his wife's aunt while a cocky, maybe? I slipped that word in. Seminary student. 
We tend to be a little that way at that stage. He says, we were on vacation, and she was saying she loves the Bible verse that says God helps those who help themselves. I said, that's not in the Bible. That's actually opposed to the whole idea of the Bible, which says God helps us. We can't help ourselves. And she said, it's not only in the Bible, it's my favorite verse. And I said, I go to seminary, I'll bet you $20 it's not in the Bible. She stayed up all night looking for that verse. She couldn't find it because it's not in the Bible. (laughs) Uh, Because it was Benjamin Franklin who said it. It's not in the Bible. And then he says, actually, it's attributed to Benjamin Franklin, but I'm not sure it was his idea. Then he says, I'm not even sure it's right to bet on what's in the Bible. But it was the only time I made money out of going to seminary, so I was glad for that. But he's right. The Bible isn't about, you know, he helps those who help themselves mainly. It's about that we need the Lord. We are dependent creatures. (laughs) Yeah. And so when I pray, I express a certain realism. I am confessing that I'm not self-sufficient. I am dependent on the Lord. And the dependence characterizes many prayers in the Bible. For example, give us this day our daily bread. There you go. Forgive us our debts. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Norwegian theologian, Ole Halsby. And if you want to call me Ole, I'd be flattered. That's my nickname. Uh, that's, because I'm Uc- no, that's because I'm Norwegian, right? Ole Halsby. He settled on a single word as the best summary of the heart attitude that God accepts as prayer. And the word that he selected, helplessness, helplessness. Only he who is helpless can truly pray. We confess our dependence. But out of that, as the basic meaning comes a second one, and uh, like I want to say they, they really go together, they're connected, but prayer is transferring the responsibility. In prayer, I'm saying, I am limited, I'm dependent, so I give over what I can't handle. I ask Him to take charge. You take charge of this. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Do not anxious, be anxious about anything, but in everything or in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You see the transfer there? Where there's anxiety, I present it. I bring it over to Him in every situation. Well, what about those everyday concerns that seem so trivial in the scheme of things? You know, I can't find my keys. Or, uh, where's my phone? Or, uh, that green light down there as I'm driving. Please don't, don't let it turn amber just yet. Two, two or three days ago, I started out on my exercise walk. And here's something so trivial. I didn't have that favorite hanky of mine in my pocket. Had I lost it? You know, it's a, it's a nice one. It's, it's red, it's silky, it's large. And, uh, But it got me thinking about this. Is this the kind of thing I can pray about? I mean, it's so small. 
And then I decided, yeah, I'll just give it over to God. He can do what he wants with it. If there's a sense in which I'm just holding him accountable. If he thinks it's trivial, well, that's his decision. But I just give it to him. Well, as it turned out, of course, it was in another pocket. So I don't know if, if that was an answer to prayer or not. The thing is, I got it. I got it. But you see, this encourages that even the small things, if they're big enough to be of concern to us, then they're not too small to pass on to him. And part of what makes that realistic for us and feasible and acceptable in our thinking is simply that God doesn't operate on a quota system. And so my prayer for the keys that I can't find, or even the lesser thing about my handkerchief, does not in any way take his attention away from dealing with those devastating tragedies that people are presenting to him, the real serious ones. And so we are committed, we're asked to present even the smallest thing to him. Prayer is transferring responsibility. And uh, I think that also speaks to us that prayer isn't simply those formal times when we make, when we actually articulate a request. But it's that attitude of dependence as well as just saying, Lord, you know, whispering, Lord, your concern. Transferring responsibility to him. Note, however, this does not mean that prayer is a substitute for my responsibility, that which I have to take care of. When we pray, we recognize our limits, but we don't abdicate our responsibilities. I think of the farmers in the last month or so. Uh, they couldn't control the weather. They prayed that their crops would dry up, but in the meantime, guess what? They made sure their equipment was ready to go. See, they, prayer doesn't, you don't abdicate your responsibility because of that. In Colossians 4, we see one good example of prayer as seen as acknowledging a dual responsibility, God and ours. Paul is giving prayer requests here, and he's saying, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul is assuming here, I can't control the circumstances. I can't control that there'll be an open door. I have to, God, you have to take care of that. I pray for that. And then I'm not sure that, I'm certainly going to do my best, but I'm not sure that I will be able to clarify it. So help me to do my best. Help me to be able to do it in a way where I proclaim it clearly as I should. And so here he's praying for, or asking prayer for opportunities that he will be at his best to make it clear. Prayer, though, is no substitute for hard work. Let's say you're a student and you're anxious about an exam. You can't pray the knowledge that you need into your head. It's not the way. You have to study. You have to do your research. And so it is in our personal lives, in the work of the church, we must work hard, we must think hard, we must develop our skills, we must increase our knowledge and understanding of things, we must do our research. And so we must work at teaching, we must work at creating opportunities for, for good fellowship. 
And ironically, we will even have to work at providing opportunities for prayer. That's an organizational kind of a job that we have to do, and we had that kind of feedback. We need to encourage our people to pray. But strategically, what's the best kind of setting to create so that it can take place? We know that it's only the Lord that can build a church. And so we give over to Him those concerns that are outside and beyond our limits. But we have to do our part. We have to pray. It's not a substitute. We have to fulfill our responsibilities. Not a substitute for that. And I would want to add to that: prayer is not a substitute for the kind of wisdom that is waiting for us in the book of Proverbs. I often say that the book of Acts did not replace Proverbs. The book of Acts, which is so much about the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, did not replace Proverbs. Proverbs describes the way that things are and the likely outcome of good decisions and the likely outcome of bad decisions. Proverbs is reality. The law of gravity is fixed. You know, you fall down, gravity works. I read recently a little, uh, uh, you know, uh, someone said that you don't, you don't need a paragraph to sky jump once. You only need a parachute if you're going to sky jump twice. <laughs> because <clears throat> the law of gravity is fixed. One of the most sad, I'm not going to call it tragic exactly, but it's a sad verse in God's Word. And that is that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The law of gravity is fixed. The law of the harvest is fixed. You reap what you sow. And so, prayer, what is it? Well, it's dependence. It's turning responsibility to Him, but that doesn't mean that we don't have our own responsibilities. Third one, prayer is ministry, or it's partnership with the Lord. We pray, of course, to prepare for ministry. You are a Sunday school teacher, so you pray for your students. You pray for your lesson. And that's as it should be. But don't think of prayer as only preparation, for prayer also is ministry. Think of that. Praying is part of the ministry. Oswald Chambers said, Prayer does not fit us for the greater works. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer is opportunity to participate with God in the work that He is doing. Our Lord is building His church. It will happen. I will build my church. But He uses means. He uses people. He uses the gifts that the people have. He uses the prayers of God's people. Someone has written, God rules the world not from conference centers of world powers, but from attic rooms and sick beds in which prayers are offered. Prayer is ministry. 
part of the means that he uses to accomplish his will. James 5.16, the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. What could be better? Think of it. We have the opportunity to partner and minister with God, to participate. And we do that in many different ways, but prayer, one of those ways. And it's something that you can do as long as you have consciousness. Think of that. Your dying days, you're still able to pray. Philip Yancey writes, after, after three devastating strokes, Corey Ten Boom, formerly a globe-trotting tramp for the Lord, found herself confined to a bed in a single, single room overlooking a garden. She had her helpers mount photos of friends and missionaries on every wall. Even when her limbs no longer functioned, her eyes moved from photo to, to another, from one photo to another, and others in the room knew what that meant. Corey was praying, partnering with him in his ministry. Prayer is dependence. It's transferring a responsibility to him. It's partnering with him. And then finally, and perhaps this is almost like a, uh, shall I say, the big tent again, or the summary of the rest. Prayer is the bridging of the two worlds. Through prayer, there's the bridge between the world that we literally live in, the kingdom of this earth, and the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus arrived on the scene, he announced the nearness of the kingdom and he taught his disciples how to live here and now by kingdom standards while on earth. And so as Christ followers, we are kingdom people. Our risen, exalted Lord is our king and our call is to live daily in a way that answers to King Jesus. We are his servants. And so we check in with him constantly. And as we do this, we are consciously connecting the two worlds, a bridge. And we see something of this in the Lord's Prayer. Interesting where it begins. Our Father who art where? In heaven. Thy kingdom come. We look forward to that consummation. But in the meantime, we desire that thy will be done on earth. And especially in our little realm of earth. And uh, so it's, you know, thy will be done. And so it's a connecting of both kingdoms. Now when we do that, in prayer, we consciously try to discern what would be his will in the particular situation that we're concerned about. We try to, you know, to hear, to discern, to be in the Word. I think it's interesting how that in Acts chapter 6, how that ministering the Word and prayer were sort of, they were so lumped together. And I really believe that prayer isn't just articulating our needs, but it's also listening and the time that you spend looking carefully at his word pondering the meaning receiving encouragement or new insight as 
is just as much prayer as when you are expressing and asking for things. And as you do that, quietly discerning your place and position in, you know, in the situation, you start to uh, ask yourself and to ponder some more, what is my motivation here? What is my agenda? Is it in accordance with his kingdom values? What would be his will here according to what he especially values? And often it isn't just one thing, but it's what would be a good choice. What would be a good, healthy choice here that reflects his values in this situation? Yancey uh, quotes one Pamela Gray. I, I'm not sure who she is, but uh, he quoted her saying, she said, for one soul that exclaims, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth, there are ten that say, hear, Lord, for thy servant speaketh more concerned to talk to God than to have him talk to us. And so I need to be quiet, inviting him to help me to understand my self-interest and to surrender my preferences. Prayer then helps me to see the world and my world more from his perspective. And that helps me to value more what he values and his priorities bridging the two worlds. As Gary Thomas says, prayer helps us to regain the proper priorities, discern biblical wisdom, and make right judgments. And then this, without prayer we live as temporal people with temporal values. It's true in my personal life. It's true in the life of our church. And there's no question that when power struggles occur in churches, they often stem from people getting their own agenda mixed up with God's agenda, motivated by earthly interests rather than by kingdom interests. Bridging the two worlds, understanding better how that I can bring his kingdom into the kingdom that I'm involved in. I want to say finally and in conclusion, prayer is ultimately for God's glory and it's under the Lordship of Christ. Eugene Peterson, we got word last week that he had just passed away. He was just short of 86 years old. And in his book, Subversive Spir Spirituality, he says, there are a thousand ways of being religious without submitting to Christ's lordship. <laughs> Isn't that right? A thousand ways of being religious. And in that context, he's not talking about false religions. There are a thousand ways of being religious without submitting to Christ's lordship. And he says, and people are practiced in most of them. <laughs> How we need prayer so we can better discern how to operate under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So the purpose of prayer, not only to bring good, good to people, that's part of it, but to bring glory to God.